Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We began and we end this series reflecting on the story God has invited us into. The story of God marked by four movements. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, that is that God is the author and the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. And in this creation, everything that God had made was good. Fall. That man's sin and severed their relationship with God and with one another. And here we are in this moment of redemption. Redemption through Jesus' blood. Redemption because Jesus' blood saves a people. And as he saves a people, he forms a church where those who belong as citizens and as members are doing life with one another. Belonging because we value the gospel above all other things. And it's because of the gospel then we've been saved into a family to do life and to do community with one another. To reflect the Trinitarian God that we worship. And while we wait in this moment for the excited anticipation of Him to restore all things and wait for His second coming, what is God calling us to do in the movement of redemption? God is calling us to multiply. To multiply. This is our third value as a church. And as we look at the significance of this third value, we will unpack biblically and explore the theology of multiplication, the history of multiplication, and how we are called to multiply. Theology of multiplication, history of multiplication, and how we are called to multiply. Guys, this is the story of God's movement. This is the, the meta-narrative of God of which you and I are all invited into. And when God's story becomes our story, we begin to embrace the fullness of who God has made us to be, the fullness of who we are. And when we live as God created, creatively designed and intended, we will flourish. That's been our heart as we wrap up this sermon series. So Matthew 28 is our anchor, though we are going to really be uh, all over the Bible. Matthew 28, specifically, we're going to be in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, I need your help to preach this sermon. We need your help to hear this sermon. We are totally dependent on you to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. May you be glorified in this time as we examine and look at the scriptures. May you change and renew our thinking. May we decrease so that you would increase. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All theology begins with God. Or I should say all good theology (laughs) begins with God. Because there's a lot of theology out there. Theology is simply the study of God or the knowledge of God or the understanding of God, depending on what exactly it is. All theology begins with God, including a theology of multiplication. We know well at this point from this sermon series and from reading the scriptures that in the beginning God said to to the Trinity, let us make man in our own image. And in creating Adam, what is God effectively doing? If God is making man in his own image, what is he effectively doing at that moment? He's multiplying. God is multiplying. Now, he's not multiplying his godness in man. He's not like saying, I'm going to create a bunch of little minions called humans, and I'm going to share my deity with these strange creatures, and they're going to run around the earth, and they're going to do their thing, and they're going to share a piece of my deity and my glory. That's not exactly what God means when he says, make man, let us make man in our own image. He is multiplying, though, his image in humanity. That's what he's doing, the image of multiplying with love. God is multiplying his image in cultivation. God is multiplying his image in expanding and in exercising authority over creation. Just as God is our authority above us. And so God forms man. He takes the dust of the earth and breathes life into that dust and forms man. And he easily could have stopped there. He didn't. But what does he do? He sees that man is alone. And so he brings Eve to Adam for community. Sure. Yeah, he does that. But what did God tell Adam? In Genesis 1.28, God tells Adam in this new community, he says, Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. We were made in the image of God to multiply. 
Multiplying is part of God's design for who we are as a people. There's multiplying in creation. Adam and Eve were to tend and to take care of the garden. And with the raw elements God gave them, they were to take those raw elements and grow more fruit, expand, farm, do more agriculture, and as they tended for the garden. We were to multiply God's image by growing family. Adam and Eve, God says, be fruitful and multiply. And multiply so much that your multiplication fills the earth. God's intention then in multiplication is saturation. In fact, it's always been that way from the beginning. Jesus, in John chapter 12, he refers to himself as the seed that is to be crushed. And as that seed is crushed and died, Jesus says, in that death, in my death, that seed will bring about more seeds that will bring about more flourishing and more multiplication. So on the cross, Jesus dies. Yet in the resurrection, Jesus brings an infinite amount of multiplication. Think about the fruit of the cross, right? In fact, Jesus, bodily in the flesh, after the resurrection, with his disciples, says, like God on earth, Jesus says to his disciples, it's better that I leave you. Oh, no, Jesus, it's actually pretty awesome that you're here with us in the flesh. Like God in the flesh, God among us. That's pretty awesome. Can you just stay here? And Jesus, no, no, it's better that I leave you. Why? Because I am going to send a helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you will carry the good news of my resurrection to the ends of the earth. What's better? Spirit-empowered people who have God inside, dwelling inside of them as a temple of the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth, or just one man, Jesus, on earth doing that? Jesus saw it fit that he would empower us to do that. Because multiplication has always been about saturation. In fact, Jesus fulfills the mandate which Adam and Eve failed to do, right? So Adam and Eve failed to be fruitful and to multiply and to spread their seed in the image of God across the earth. Yet here is Jesus, the greater Adam, fulfilling what Adam and Eve could not do. So guys, when we think about a theology of multiplication, um, the, uh, multiplication is seen in the Trinity. Multiplication is God's design in humanity. Multiplication is made possible in and through the work of Jesus. And then multiplication is God inviting us inviting us to cooperate in his mission to multiply. He's invited you and me into this. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 18 to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So here in Matthew, uh, we have what is commonly known as the Great Commission, where the risen Jesus is speaking with his 11 disciples and others, 
And Jesus is affirming his authority to his disciples. Hey, I have authority to send you, and I now have authority to cause you to be a people who multiply, a people who grow. In fact, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Know this, it's not a great suggestion, is it? Maybe you should think about possibly entertain the idea right now in your mind that you maybe want to make a disciple. He commands them. He commissions them with authority. In fact, he tells us to teach them and obey. He says you teach them and obey. Teach them to obey what? All that God has commanded, including this command right here. Teach them to obey, to live and submit under God's spirit-empowered mission to multiply. God did not save you to make you saved. God did not save me to keep me safe and so that our faith would be isolated within and of ourselves, but he saves us to multiply. And so let me ask you, how are you making disciples? Are you obeying Jesus' mission to multiply? Any job you've ever had, ever held for long or short, came with expectations that you were supposed to meet. Things that you needed to deliver on. And according to Jesus, the expectation is that disciples will make disciples. Disciples will be discipling. We will multiply. It's just the expectation that he puts on us. I was waiting for a meeting at a coffee shop this week. It wasn't at the coffee lounge, and you'll know why, because it's kind of a funny, it's kind of an awkward story more, more than anything. Um, I'm sitting there waiting for this meeting, and there's a few employees at this coffee shop who like, kind of sat down over next to me, and they're sitting there, and they're talking, and their manager walks by, and, and these guys are literally just sitting, they're just chilling, they're just talking, they're just being themselves, and they're not working, and the manager walks by and says, uh, why aren't you working? And they said, can't you tell we're just taking a break? And she said, I suggest that you get back to work right now unless you want a permanent break. And then she looks at me, and I'm just like, headphones back in, uh, I'm going to be doing something right now. And I agree with her, right? But sadly, that's how some of us approach the command, the, the commissioning of Jesus to make disciples. You know, Jesus, I'm just, I'm just being me. I'm just chilling. Just, just hanging out here. You're not, you're not going to really mind, right? I mean, it's like, I'm comfortable. I'm just, talk, just talking story like, you know. What about making? What about multiplying? We don't have a boss that is suggesting us to do this with certain expectations. We have the one who is all authority in heaven and on earth commissioning us, beckoning us, sending us and saying, go, get up and go. Guys, think about Jesus' authority. He can speak and he can cause the wind and the waves to obey him. Like when, he ca- when Jesus casts out a demon, does the demon like have a chance to negotiate? No, Jesus, we don't want to be cast out right now. Like, 
There's no negotiating with Jesus. It's like, you're out, demons. They're not, there's not like this 50-50 kind of battle happening. Jesus has total authority over the demons. Total authority over creation. In fact, not even death would have authority over Jesus. And so the gospel, which saves us, provides for us the freedom to joyfully obey Jesus' commands. Don't detach this commission from the gospel. Don't, t- don't detach going and sending without forgetting that you love him because he first loved you. And it's the love of Jesus that compels us. It's the love of Jesus that compelled Eric and I and the other pastors and those who labor in the gospel here to plant this church so that more people would meet Jesus. The love of God is what compels us, not guilt. But hey, if if God would use his authority as a means of grace to compel us, then so be it here. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And you can go because making disciples isn't just your work. It's the Holy Spirit's work at you. Rather, in you. Because the one who has all authority has sent you. And so that's a theology of multiplication. So let's, let's talk about the history of multiplication. What Jesus says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission is not entirely new. It's unique and it's very specific, but it's the same thread of promises that go back to our old uncle Abraham, who was a 100-year-old dude who could not have kids. And God makes a promise to this man who cannot have any kids. And God promises, God's promise to Abraham was one of multiplication. Genesis twenty two seventeen, God says, I surely will bless you. Doesn't that just sound like what he made a promise to Adam and Eve? Yes, it's continuing now, but with more specificity. I surely will bless you and I surely will multiply your offspring, as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. So historically, what venue does multiplication happen? In a family. God's plan to save humanity from sin, which is illuminated here in the Abrahamic covenant, was made a promise made to a family. That God said that through Abraham, the seed of all the nations will be blessed. And so Abraham, uh, God says, not just going, you're not going to be the father of one nation, but instead you're going to be the father of many nations, God's plan to redeem humanity from sin is still through a family today. It hasn't changed. It's the family of Jesus Christ. God's plan historically is to, has been a covenant to uh, the Abrahamic covenant, yet a new covenant of grace that he makes for a the fullness of this family. We are Abraham's offspring. You are Abraham's offspring. More numerous than the stars. So maybe you never understood. Father Abraham had many sons. That's why. Because you're his offspring. It's why Jesus came. But Jesus said in John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not in this fold that I must bring 
to them also, and they will listen to my voice. What is, what is Jesus saying I'm going to do? I'm going to multiply this family. Is he creating a new family? No, he is bringing the fullness of the family, what is intended, and he is grafting us Gentiles into the covenant of grace that he has for you, that he has for me. So much so that Jesus says in John 10, 16, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock. One shepherd. One family. One mission. Multiplication. God has historically intended to save a people through family. In fact, that's what Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. That's what he's done after the resurrection. Let's go a little bit of history here. Um, Some of you history buffs are going to love this. Others of you um, just, just try to follow the tread here. In 30 AD, 50 days after the resurrection, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, was filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. You imagine that, right? It's like first time you're riding a, b- a bike, you do like a triple backflip. I mean, that's what he does. He First sermon, three, the Holy Spirit shows up, 3,000 people are saved, church is born. In the following months, John and Peter advanced the gospel, and the church grew to 5,000 people. The first church was a mega church, by the way with mega issues too. I mean, imagine like everyone's like a brand new Christian. Everyone is a brand new Christian, right? Like your Sundays are new believers classes for 5,000 people. In 42 AD, John Mark goes down to Egypt where a few thousand people believe in Jesus. In the mid 40s, the center hub of Christianity is moved from Jerusalem because of the heavy persecution that was taking place. And the new hub, the new sending place for Christians and for mission became Antioch. In 51 AD, Paul goes to Greece. In 52 AD, Thomas goes to India. In 62 AD, Paul is in Macedonia because there was a little bit of a drama that happened between Mark and Barnabas. Remember that? Like apostles going at it, right, and fighting. They split, but what happens in their split? The gospel expands. It is multiplied times two. They would eventually work out their differences. In 174 AD, churches are rep- have reported to spread into Central Europe. And around 350 AD, there are about 30 million Christians who profess faith in Jesus Christ on the earth. In 498, people are believing Jesus in Africa. And 900 missionaries arrive in the fjords of Norway. And 988, conversion begins in Russia. Do you see how this is beginning to spread? Do you see how we're going to the ends of the earth? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In 1491, Pope Alexander sent missionaries on the ships of Columbus to go to the strange new world to uh, share the gospel. And 500 missionaries also make their way to the Congo and to Kenya. In 517, Martin Luther nails the 95 Thesis on the the doors of the Wittenberg Wittenberg Church, the Roman Catholic Church there in Wittenberg, and ignites and sparks a Protestant Reformation of which uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox take the gospel that was hidden in darkness for hundreds of years, bring it into the light, put scriptures into the hands of people, and an amazing Reformation takes place that you and I are beneficiaries of today. In the early 1700s, I'm not excited about this at all, can you tell? 
George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards are part of the Great Awakening in the New Land of America. In 1820, the East Coast of America experiences the Second Great Awakening, which compelled more missionaries to be sent to multiply and to spread the news of the gospel. In December of 1834, a missionary from New England named Titus Cohen boards a ship and lands on the beautiful island of Hawaii. And near the end of the 19th century, as a result of them preaching the gospel and being faithful, the big island has the largest church in the world, and the nation of Hawaii is the most Christian nation on earth. The end? D.A. Carson articulates the way faith works in generations. He says one generation believes, the next generation assumes, the next generation forgets. Here we are in our day where Hawaii is post-Christian. Let's fast, and then in, in, in July of 2012, a new gospel-centered church is planted in Kona with the desire to see the good news of Jesus spread on this island so, so more disciples, more people would meet Jesus, more disciples would be compelled to be on mission, and so more churches would be planted in these islands. That's why we're here. Let's fast forward, though. Historically, let's fast forward into the future where God finalizes the promise of multiplying in Revelation, where the Apostle John says in chapter 7, listen to this, guys, just hear this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude of people that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes of peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lamb who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A multitude of which we cannot count. Hey, do you know Jesus this morning? You're invited into this story. Believe in his story. Believe that his story is better than the story that you're trying to build for your life right now. And that it is not about you at the end of the day. It really is about glorifying, making much of him, and entering into his story. You're invited by faith. And if you're a Christian, guys, let's, let's not love this world too much. Let's love, enjoy, and participate his mission of multiplication more than our mission to multiply our own glory in life. And by you being here, you are playing a role in the legacy of God's plan of redemption from the foundation of the world to multiply historically through family. Because his story becomes our story. That's the history of multiplication. So then what's left 
for us to really talk about is how do we multiply here? How do we, how does this people, how do we multiply? What is the vision for multiplication? It's pretty specific if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you. We all have the commission to go. And our going isn't like, well, I'm not sure what this going looks like. It's pretty much specific. Go. And when you go... Whatever your going looks like, you make disciples, you teach those disciples, they come to faith in Jesus, and they are baptized as disciples, and then continue to teach them all that the Bible commands them. And so whatever vision you have for your life, and listen, you should have a vision and a direction and desires for your life, but whatever vision you have for your life, your greatest vision is given to you already. The vision for your life, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, is given for you in these verses. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, teaching them the scriptures, teaching them the good news of the gospel. And if you're a Christian, you belong and you are wrapped up in this story more than you know. We all share the same vision to multiply because it's who we are. Now listen, multiply might look different for each and every one of us, but we all have the same mission. So you may be an artist, a barista, a business owner, an entrepreneur, a nurse, a doctor, a retail student, but God has placed you with that career, with that job, in that vocation, to go. To go. Now, obviously, not to be obnoxious. She didn't say be obnoxious. Like, don't be obnoxious in your workplace, right? Don't share Jesus when you're on the clock. Share it on your lunch break and let your work show you that the gospel has transformed you. But God has placed you in right where you're at to flourish where he has planted you so that you would multiply, so that your seed would bring about more seeds, would bring about more fruit for the kingdom of God. The call to multiply is for every believer. It's not just for the pastors to do. It's not just for us to figure this out. Your job, your career, your neighborhoods were given to you by God so you would make disciples. And that's what we want for you at Showbreak that you would understand that really our job as ministers of the gospel is to unleash you, to equip you, and to empower you to go into your neighborhoods, your workplaces, around this island, and share the good news of Jesus. Because of that, our vision at Showbreak, and I'm not saying we are fully this, it's our value that I think we can grow and move towards, no doubt. Our We, though, want our leaders to be multiplying and training up more leaders. And the way we primarily do that, it's through community groups. And so we are 
praying and asking for God to give more community group leaders, that we would train up those leaders, that, that those leaders would become leaders of leaders, and that those leaders maybe one day would be sent to do even things that they maybe had not realized. So when it comes to how we do multiplication at Shorebreak, as we believe God's plan to save the lost is you. Don't place that all on me. I can't do that. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the scriptures. He's given us as a family to rally on Sunday so that when we go in Monday in our workplace, we are empowered by faith. We were reminded because we rallied in the huddle on Sunday morning to go and to do what God has commanded us to do. So how do we do that? We share our faith in our workplace. We are here to multiply and train, and not just in our workplace, but in our communities, whatever community those are. To be training up and raising up leaders. And another way we do this is for short break is to, to plant churches. That more churches would be multiplying and more churches would happen in the islands because people meet Jesus when the church is commissioned. In fact, we believe at Shorebreak that one of the main ways Jesus reaches the lost is through church planting. How could you say that? The way the disciples animated the Great Commission was through what? The planting of churches. Went to a place preached the gospel, people got saved, church was born. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Our mission is to be a multiplying people so dedicated to amplifying Jesus that the name of Jesus saturates the big island in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, and in our city. And that the gospel would saturate our own lives. That's why we've done this series. Guys, we believe with conviction that this is where God is leading us. Because we are the church. We are members. We are gospel-centered. We are made for community. And we are called to multiply. And hey, I know it's scary. I know. I know there's a lot of unknowns. It's hard. But it's what we're called to do. What James Hudson Taylor says, summarizing, without an element of risk, there is no need for faith. So in the uncertainty, rest and have faith. Trust that God will use you, empower you to do this. And when you feel like you can't do it, when you feel like you can't move forward, when you are afraid, know that you are not alone. All authority is in Jesus, and Jesus is with you. Have faith. And believe what Jesus says to you. In verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father God, we thank you that you are with us right now. That you speak to us, 
that you move and you work in and through us, and that you've called us to be a multiplying people. That it really isn't about us, Jesus, but that it is all, in fact, about you. May we embrace who you've called us to be. May you help us to make disciples. Lord, I don't want us to be standing before your throne one day, bending on our knee, not having made a disciple. So may your grace, your gospel, and your love be the compelling reason we want to share more of your grace and your love with others. May we not hoard our faith, but multiply and share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.